When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right on top of Caleb Rowe. Now the stage is a bit shifted over to the right this year. Change range. The 2 1 is a fly ball to deep center field. Way back. We go. Shot by Bailey Hemphill over the 220 side and right at the straightaway center field camera for Mima ESPN. We're tied up at two here in the bottom of the first. And that is about where the stage was last year. So if it hadn't moved, right, that hits the top. Didn't think we'd get a Scooby Doo reference in today, but hey, why not? That's just, that was my show. That was a good I know. I was uh, scrappy dude for Halloween one year. Oh, I need to hear about that. Right, <laughs> kids today they don't understand what Halloween costumes were Whoa. back in the day. You had to if, go. You, if you didn't sweat buckets and have five problems breathing, you weren't wearing a good costume. <laughs> us we missed you it's been a while since the podcast has been on the air due to travel issues last week but we are back here out of the box podcast returning for episode seven gray robertson alongside my partner tom canterbury and uh since we last did the podcast tom things have been going well things have gone very well um i hope there's no correlation (laughs) i just pull back the curtain just a little bit Uh, we were planning on doing a uh a podcast, at least an abbreviated one from Gainesville last week. And then we were supposed to leave. Our plane was supposed to leave at two and that would give us plenty of time to be able to do it on Thursday before everything got started on Friday. And then uh, we got word that the plane was quote, not usable at two o'clock, <laughs> which means, you know, we'll wait for the new one. So, so which seems you know, like a good call, right? I think, you know, I was, yeah. you know, I was pretty happy, you know, it was, you hated to have the delay and, and you know, how that kind of throws everything off. But you know, we got there safely. Everyone was fine. And then uh, Alabama played 
extremely well against the Gators. I would say so. And we're going to talk about that series in just a moment. Here is your trip around the bases. Segment one, we're at the plate. As usual, talking about what happened with Alabama. It is an oh-so-sweet discussion about the Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. Oh-so-sweet. We'll get to that in just a bit. Then we will advance to first, talk about the SEC, where the standings are, who is still in control of their own destiny in the SEC regular season championship race, plus a quick RPI update. A lot of movement this week. Which is, I'm glad to see. You know, that's one thing about the RPI. It's a formula, so you got to wait for all the parts of the formula to come in before it really takes shape. So uh, glad to see some of that movement here this week. Yeah, we'll talk about that, including an Alabama opponent that the Crimson Tide beat now in the top three. Mm -hmm. Then we will steal second with Madison Shipman, our first returning guest in podcast history. Former Tennessee shortstop. We'll try not to get her benched from anything that she's doing. We will try. Yes. Madison Shipman will join us for the stealing second portion of a show. Then we will round third. I have been diligently working on a document titled Bracketology. Mm. Yes, I have all of the stats. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> Literally everything you could need. So we're going to go over that. I've got a list of teams vying for super regionals, and uh, it's not very long. I think about nine, maybe ten teams in position. We'll cover that later on. And then finally, we will head home, make picks, which we we have not done well lately, and then we I've will done do, okay. You've well, you've done better than me. <laughs> I literally did not get a single one right last oh, week. Wow! And then we will do Tom's hungry. Not a ton to talk about on yeah. Tom's hungry, but well, we we did eat. We so, did. We yeah. had to. It's yes. you know it's required. <laughs> Before we get to the Florida sweep, though, we have exciting news, Tom. Speaking of Tom's hungry, yes, we have discussed it with our friends in College Station, and we will be doing a recording of Out of the Box date TBD. From Good Bull Barbecue, of course, in College Station. I believe we're going to try that Tuesday. We'll be in town. Um, That is still up in the air, depending on our itinerary. But Hopefully, Alabama's not having to play until Thursday, so that would... That would be ideal. I I mean, that's almost a lot now. It would be very difficult for them not to be, but we'll see what happens. So uh, that will be, hopefully, that Tuesday of SEC Tournament Week at Good Bull. And this is an open invite right now. To our other two podcasts. Yes. Our podcast family. For all the folks at Seven Innings, I know with ESPN, it's a very busy week for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to be doing a lot of TV coverage, but... You got to eat. You have to eat. So we would love for maybe a segment, maybe a whole abbreviated show. I don't know. But our friends at Seven Innings Podcast, we would love for you to come and be a part of your own crossover. And to our friends at In the Circle, if you're in the SEC tournament, I don't know what their travel plans are, but if you're in College Station, swing by too. Let's have a whole podcast palooza at Good Bull Barbecue. <laughs> and it was good to see uh, Eric and Victor at uh, in Gainesville this past weekend. And you know, they've they've been making the rounds here this this week as well. So a really good, a really fun. This is the really starts to be the really fun time in softball. Yes, and a shout out to Victor Anderson for being in the booth with us when KB Sides hit her two run homer. Yes, clearly it was all Victor's. Thanks, Victor. Juju Magumbo. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yes. That two-run homer was in game three of the Florida sweep. <laughs> First time Alabama has swept the Gators in Gainesville since 2001. First time Florida has been swept at home at all since March 2011 against the Georgia Bulldogs. And Alabama went in, Tom, and for maybe half an inning, other than that, was in complete control. There was a half inning where the Florida crowd kind of got into it. Yeah. But other than that, Alabama was in total control for three full games on the road against Kelly Barnhill, Tim Walton, and the Florida Gators. Well, Tim went there for all three games. That's true. Uh, (laughs) For the completion of all three, I should say. But, well, I think a lot of what Alabama is able to do, the style of play that Alabama is with the dominant pitching that we've seen from the Crimson Tide, 
it's hard for an opposing fan base to get excited because you know, part of being excited is scoring. Right. And if you never score, it's very difficult to, to get excited and, and be in the game. Yeah. We saw after the Lorenz home run in game two, but even then it was kind of, it, it wasn't full on. Cause, and then Alabama came right back right. and Skylar Wallace had the home run. So it yeah. was very short lived. Right. And then, you know, the, the crowd, there was just an angry crowd there at the end of game three after <laughs> uh, Walton got ejected and they, you know, they were loud then. And then, Kelly Barnhill for the only time all weekend long hit a batter shockingly KB sides who had just hit a home run her last time up, you know, so there were those type of times, but it was, that wasn't being excited. That was being frustrated and angry. Right. So it wasn't, yeah, for the pretty much the entire weekend, despite the fact that it was alumni weekend for Florida, you know, Garth was in town on Saturday. It was a really big weekend on campus. Alabama just had it from the beginning. Yeah, it was, uh, it was weird too, to see Alyssa Brown not be an an impact player really in the series just went two for 11 and didn't score a run. Now, if I had said those stats to you going into the weekend, you and I probably both would have thought, uh Oh, right. But it was the rest of a lineup just continuing, especially in the nine spot, Skylar Wallace in games one and two KB sides in game three. So even without Alyssa Brown being her usual self, the offense manufactured runs and was able to just keep things going. And some of those numbers a little bit skewed because she was called for being out of the box a couple of times that at least one of them that I can remember right off the hand would have been a base hit. Yeah. You know, so well, that, t- I know both in game two probably would have been base hits, right. one for sure. And one by rule was a correct call. We have made our statements about that. Mm, right. And the second one was just blown. It was just a, it was a bad call. Yeah. And then she get you know, she gets thrown out at third on what she thought was going to be a wild pitch that got further away from from the catcher than it did. Even that you saw you know, she she was she would have been able to have a little bit more effect had those plays not happened, but they did, and that's just you know the way that goes. But it was great to see the rest of the lineup really contribute and uh, manufacture at times because you know there were there were the three home runs. Bailey Hempill hit one on top of the pitching lab in in left field, and you had KB sides home run and Skylar Wallace home run. But other than that, it was a lot of manufacturing, a lot of singles, and and Alabama scoring runs in a lot of different ways, which was kind of a microcosm of how the season has been so far. Alabama's done it every way you can and weird to see Alabama out walked Florida was walked more than Alabama was this weekend and Alabama didn't miss a beat I mean that was something we talked about after the Mississippi State series Mm -hmm. and after especially the South Carolina series Alabama didn't have that edge in walks and they didn't have as many runners on base over the opponent that was also true this weekend Florida had a base runner on every inning in game three right and Alabama was able to get the runs and get the timely hits that Florida couldn't the Gators were three for 37 with runners on and an over spot with runners in scoring position which is crazy for a Florida team yeah not having anybody outside of, of Lindemann and Lorenz that you could really count on to you know bring in those runs and uh, I think some of those numbers are a little bit skewed because of game two uh, it was a very small strike zone. Sarah Cornell had a very Alexis Osorio-esque type game yeah. to where there were some walks. There were more walks than usual, but at the same time, she was in complete control. She had, she was striking out people, keeping the runs from coming in, and just having a great overall game. But it was one of those where it seems like Florida had one, two runners on every inning uh, because of the walks. 
But again, Sarah Cornell, like Alabama, in complete control. So offensively, Bailey Hemphill going four for eight. Good to see that from Hemphill in conference play mm-hmm. with a home run and three runs driven in. Kaylee Tao as well, three for eight with an RBI and two runs scored. And then you know the two players who made the biggest difference, I think, for the weekend. KB sides three for eight with a triple, a home run, a triple that I honestly forgot about. I didn't even remember that it happened until I was looking <laughs> at the stats. Yeah, She had two RBIs and then three runs scored. And Skylar Wallace, three for nine, another triple, a home run, one RBI and three runs scored herself. It was just, again, like we said, all up and down the lineup. And at this point in conference play, it should scare teams to see Alabama getting timely hits. Again, the averages as a team overall not great. I mean, you've got a high of, I think, uh, whatever Bailey is at 360, something like that. But then the low is Maris Schroeder at 269, where you've got Florida players that are hitting in the 100s. A lot of teams have those big gaps in the lineup. Alabama just doesn't have that at this point in the year. And what has been the issue with Alabama in the past few years has been there have been those just voids in the lineup. There aren't any of those right now for this team. And I know people will look at it and say, well, this is not you know the national championship level Florida teams that they've had in years past and that that's probably true but at the same time they had just beaten they just dominated florida state in the midweek in tallahassee the defending national champions they had been on a eight game win streak to before they got uh two friday's games against alabama so even though they had struggled at the beginning of the conference slight it looked as though they had really kind of ride the ship and as playing as well as they had all year long before the matchup with alabama so i don't buy into that i think florida is still a very good team Alabama just made him look bad. Yeah, I completely agree. And people think that Al- or maybe Alabama should have swept Florida. Well, it's hard to sweep Florida there. There's a right. reason they haven't been swept it's, at home since it's 11. To, it's hard to sweep anybody in the SEC, much yes. less on the road. You know, Alabama lost the Sunday game to Texas A&M, who's you know, going to be 13th in the conference. It's just hard to get a sweep, especially on the road. And I think, too, we have to take a look at what teams are and not try to fit in the results into our preconceived notions of what we think they are. Right. So I, I think you saw what Alabama did to Georgia the week before. Like, well, Georgia's not that just not very good. Then they go and take two or three from Tennessee and, and their offense looked pretty good. I think you have to at this point say that Alabama and their pitching especially will make teams look bad, even if they're not. And yeah. I think that we're gonna have seen some of that this week this next coming up weekend, because Kentucky offensively especially is no slouch they can hit the ball and so Alabama's going to have to continue to play at this level if they make Kentucky look like they made Florida and Georgia look these last two weeks it's Katie bar the door yes Katie (laughs) get ready yes throw yourself at the door speaking of pitching can we just talk about Crystal Goodman please wow because this young lady and her last five appearances zero earned runs that's 25 and a third innings I believe Mm mm-hmm And a bunch of that is against good SEC offenses, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Florida might not be, you know, the best offense overall, but they've got, you could argue, two of the best offensive players in the conference, Lindemann and Lorenz. We said weeks ago that we weren't sure when we would see Crystal Goodman in conference play because we didn't think she had the variety to go out and dominate an SEC opponent. She's worked on her variety. We've seen a lot more differential in terms of the pitch calling. I think that's a credit to Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow for developing that and mixing her calls. But mm. wow, Crystal Goodman is good, man. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah, she's showing why she was the National Junior College Player of the Year last year and you know why, why she was a, a highly recruited junior college player coming up, making the, the, the step up. And just this, this entire pitching staff, just the depth they've shown the 
the one positive from the Montana Fouts injury has been you've you've had to rely on Sarah Cornell, uh, Crystal Goodman, Courtney Geddens, and they they have delivered many more times than not here in, in this time off. And um, yeah, Crystal Goodman has just been outstanding. The, the thing with her, I thought even more so than than the variety was just you know the belief that, you know, that she knew that she should be here. Yeah. Uh, there was you know, maybe a nerve factor, but this seems to be none of that now, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you, she got past it and man, she is, you know, when you look at it, the fastball to change up her change up looks just like a fastball coming out of, out of the hand. And then all of a sudden she's making people look silly because it's about 20 miles per hour slower. And then you, when you hear the audible oohs and ahs from the, from the crowd, when, when that change up comes in, what, what a performance by her and what she's been able to do. I think now you, you kind of set up what the formula is probably for Alabama in these last couple of sec series is because, you know, Montana Fouts, her injury is one of those that is, you know, probably not going to completely heal until she has a good off season you know, where she can, you know, sit down, a, sit down the softball and not throw it for six months, six weeks is probably what she needs more than anything. Uh, but she, I mean, she's, she's probably 80, 90%, which is better than most people <laughs> for, for to start off with for sure. But I think the formula now is Montana in game one, Sarah Cornell in game two, Crystal Goodman starts game three, and then you bring in either Montana or, or Cornell to finish things off. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Kentucky series this weekend. I think you're exactly right. I see no reason to change it. I think Crystal Goodman has earned the position to start game three. Mm -hmm. I think also you don't feel that pressure when you win games one and two in those series. You don't feel like, oh, well, you know, we have to win the series, so I'm going to throw my ace out there. Patrick Murphy can say, all right, well, we've won the series. We trust Crystal. We can go in. Montana will be ready to come in, hopefully only pitch 30 pitches, 40 pitches tops in relief if needed. Yeah. And I think that'll work. I mean, the only reason we saw Crystal get pulled against Florida, I think, is because the Gators did a great job of fighting off pitches they didn't have a lot of great at bats but they had a lot of long at bats and so we saw goodman's pitch count really get up so that by the third time around it just made more sense to bring in montana fouls to change things up even if they were out they were starting to get better contact yeah and you just didn't want to take the chance you know at at that point and had kb hit the home run yet when yes yeah yeah yeah. but it's still that does say it's still trying to you know not give florida any any hope I'm fine with that. You don't want to give them any hope. No. So this weekend against Kentucky, I think we found the magic lineup. I think we know the pitching rotation. Maybe the one qualm you could have is who to go behind Bailey Hemphill because Mary Schroeder didn't have a great weekend, Mm. but she also had some hard hit balls that just curved foul. I mean, she was very close a lot. I really have no issues with the lineup going into the Kentucky series. Yeah, me neither. You know, maybe, you know, decide you leave Skylar Wallace at nine or let her continue to move up to to six and have KB at nine. They both have produced in both spots. So I think maybe just be a matchup situation, whichever, whoever you feel better, they're both lefties. So again, that's, that's not that, not that big of a deal. I'm no. okay one way or the other. This is weird. I feel like yeah. this opening segment should be longer because we should have to dissect things, but you don't have to when a yeah. team is 45 and four and right. first in the SEC. Things are going according to plan for sure. Absolutely. This is exactly what Patrick Murphy drew up. And, you know, with Kentucky coming this weekend, they're playing Auburn right now. We're watching it. They've already won that series. That yeah. should be a lot of fun. And I'd be fine with them going ahead and finishing off the, the sweep here today, either either way. But yeah, I think it's going to be a really good series because, as I say, Kentucky is a very good hitting team. And, you know, win or lose here tonight, uh, they'll be 
feeling good about themselves the way that they played, especially yesterday in the doubleheader sweep. So you're going to have to play at the A game that you've been at here the last couple of weeks to uh, to get what you get the results you desire. Yeah, Kentucky's pitching is very streaky. We'll see how that works out this weekend. Grace Ballman threw what a one hitter in game mm-hmm. one against Auburn. Autumn Humes in the first two weeks of conference play at a .64 ERA, and then some weekends they'll get slammed. So you really don't know which pitching right. staff you're getting from Kentucky. And that one hit in that game against Auburn was an infield single. It was basically the results of a slap, but it was a full-on swing where she, it just drove way up and bounced high. So it's a tough way to lose a no-hitter. But like I said, they're they're playing as well as they have all season long, but you know, so at Florida. So That's we'll right. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Alabama and Kentucky coming up this weekend. That is a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday party at Rhodes, Weather. 6.30 Central on Friday. Weather looks great. It does. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Oh, man, I miss those days. <laughs> 6.30 Central on Friday, 8 o'clock Central, you night owls. Come on over. Yeah. That's at uh, Saturday. I have to get a nap in on Saturday. Yeah, multiple naps. <laughs> and then uh, Sunday, 2 o'clock Central time, Alabama versus Kentucky at the Rhodes house. Okay. We've put it in play. Which uh, which player are we emulating this week? Um, I, I think we we're KB. All right. So have we been hitting the ribs and we're staring down <laughs> Kelly Barnhill? Staring her we, down. That's what we're doing. Yes. We've we've been hit in the ribs stayed and we're inside, not taking it. Stayed inside the box. Yep. We're staring her down <laughs> and we're advancing to first. When we come back, we will break down the updated SEC standings, talk about some major stunners in the conference last weekend, and look at the RPI, some big shifts across the country. That coming up here on episode seven of Out of the Box. Welcome back, folks. We have put it in play, and we're advancing to first here on Episode 7 of Out of the Box. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury, as always, here with you. First, let's go over the updated SEC standings. As it stands right now, again, Kentucky-Auburn playing Game 3, so there could be some shifts, but here is how it stands as we record. First place, Tom, who is it? Oh, that would be one Alabama Crimson Tide. That's correct. The 14-4 and four Alabama Crimson Tide. And one thing real quick, I, want, I think we, we were undershooting it, during the uh, the series this past weekend, Alabama and Florida have combined for the last 11 SEC wow. championships regular season, at least a share of the last 11. So absolutely insane. Yeah. So hopefully Alabama can keep that rolling because uh, Florida won't. No, Florida will not. We'll get to them <laughs> after a few teams. LSU in second, 14 and seven. Ole Miss 11 and six. They're in third. Had that rain out against South Carolina that could be critical, Tom. Oh, my gosh. As we get it. down the stretch. Hate it when rain outs become important. Well, it could be. We'll could see. Be. We'll see. Tennessee in fourth, 11 and seven. Fifth, Missouri. How about that job by Larissa Anderson? 10 and eight. Amazing. Kentucky in sixth, as it stands right now, at 11 and nine. Right behind them, Auburn, nine and eight. Florida at nine and nine wow. in the conference. Arkansas, eight and 10. South Carolina, seven and 10. Georgia in 11th at seven and 11. Mississippi State in 12th at four and 14. Texas A&M in last at three and 15. And we're going to talk about the Aggies tournament hopes because all of a sudden A&M might be in a lot of trouble come selection Sunday. But as the standings go right now, LSU has a non-conference series this weekend. So they are off the table. We thought there might be a chance if LSU got swept by Arkansas, that Alabama could clinch the league this weekend. That is not possible. Alabama controls its own destiny. Keep winning and you get the conference. I think at worst, if Alabama goes four and two, you've got it on lock. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I don't know if I said it on air or off air, but I thought that going into the game on Saturday that if Alabama finished the year at five, five and two, you know, at that point, 
that Alabama would win the conference and you got the first one of those. And I, I agree. I think if you avoid, definitely got to avoid the sweep, but if you know, you take care of your business against Kentucky, you know, that's why a sweep this weekend could be really big for Alabama because Alabama's not had a lot of success in, in Baton Rouge against LSU. And you take some of the pressure off yourself of having to go in and win the series. You'd only have to win one of the three games. Yeah. And that being said, the last time Alabama won the regular season on the road, it was at Missouri and the, it was, a, it was in a sweep. So it, it's been done before. And, you know, Al- Alabama had not swept Florida in Gainesville since 2001. So maybe, you know, past performance doesn't really affect anything at this point. And with Ole Miss playing Tennessee this weekend, you know, you have to really think it is down to Alabama LSU, just the way the math goes. There are a lot of things to configure and we'll have a clear magic number at the end of probably on Sunday to be quite honest. But you know, at this point it looks like it's Alabama LSU. And a big reason why it's down to those two is because Georgia took two of three over Tennessee. It was the classic Saturday, Saturday, Sunday yes, series. Always exciting. Yes. And a shocker to see, you know, we usually talk about Tennessee struggling in one of those games pitching, but really they struggled in all three. Yeah. Georgia was able to get hits off of them. Ashley Rogers, a very talented freshman struggled. She went five innings over the whole series, gave up 10 hits, eight runs, six of those earned only gave up one walk and had 10 strikeouts, but Georgia saw her really well. Maddie Moss had the grand slam hit off of her in game three. I think that was important for Georgia. I think that they showed that they can be scary in regionals. And I, you know, Tennessee, that's not a series you can lose when you're pretty much on the bubble to host super regionals. Right. And that that was one of the reasons why I had the thought of, you know, you can't just bring your preconceived notion in and apply it to the results. You have to take the results for what they are in these games. And Georgia did not look very good offensively at all against Alabama, but then was able to hit off a very good pitching staff in Tennessee as well, which is why you know Alabama might be on another level from from that. I was I was really surprised that Georgia was able to score as much as they were against against that Tennessee team, even at home. Uh, and I thought Tennessee offensively would have been able to match them a little bit better, but it just. It was one of those, another one of those series where Georgia had a lot of control of that game. Yeah, and a a series. Sh- shout out to Allison Febri too, because we talked a lot on the air when Georgia was here in Tuscaloosa about how she had really struggled in conference play, especially since coming back from injury. But every time I saw her at the plate when I was watching those games, she got a hit, and then she had the grand slam to end it. Walk off grand slam to make it a run rule game, and uh, was that the final game? Yeah, that, that was, was game yeah, three. Yeah, was, five runs in that inning, I believe. Yeah, so it was a game that they already had had, but go ahead and finishing off an inning early. I think that says a lot about about them, and you know, yeah, I agree. I think they're going to be a, a two seed in a uh, in a regional that it's going to be. They're going to be a tough out for whoever they get sent to. Yeah, poor one seed, whoever that is. Yeah, we'll talk about the who SEC, that could be yeah. later on. The SEC has a lot of teams like that that are not yeah. going to host, but they're going to be a, a difficult out for somebody. Another shocking series: Arkansas taking two of three against LSU. Amanda Sanchez, Tom, on the series, one for 10 with two walks. And basically every pitcher for LSU, every key pitcher, got lit up at some point. Sinceri gave up a bunch of runs in game two. She pitched really well in game three. But every pitcher struggled at some point in that series. And I was a little surprised to see LSU struggle with an Arkansas team that you know, it was I called a couple weeks ago, I think, just plain bad. Yeah. I mean, watching them get swept by Florida, they were last in the SEC in batting average, and they exploded offensively against LSU. Yeah, that was I think that was a much more of a surprising as surprised as I was about Georgia taking two of three from Tennessee, I was shocked 
<laughs> that Arkansas took two, three from LSU. Especially the fact that it was the first two games. Right. And, you know, LSU knew how important those games were. You know, LSU knows what the the, scan, the standings are, too. They, they need to hold serve against for Alabama in the standings, and they were unable to do so. Uh, against an Arkansas team that had so many issues here this year, both offensively and defensively, uh, pitching wise, I was I was stunned that LSU got got beat to those three, and I, I I really don't know what to, if it was Arkansas, you know, finally putting all together and and you know gelling and clicking, and we got to worry about the Razorbacks now moving forward, or if it was. LSU just having a really bad weekend. Yeah, and it was hard because we weren't really able to watch any of those games. I saw a bit of Thursday. I think y'all were still traveling. So it was hard to really take in what was going on. From what I saw, LSU just looked a little flat, which happens sometimes. But I don't know. If anything else, Arkansas may have just provided the roadmap for anybody else facing LSU. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm watching that film before the LSU series, so I can tell you next week. Okay. All right. Let me know. All right. So, Tom, what month is it? Just have curiosity. It is April. Okay. uh, So it's not football season. No, it is not. It's not. Okay. You could have confused me if you (laughs) showed me the score from Starkville over the weekend. Game one, Ole Miss takes two or three off Mississippi State. Games two, uh, Mississippi State won six nothing. Game three, Ole Miss won an extra three to one. Game one, though, Tom, 21 to nothing Rebels. In Starkville. Man. Is Bo Wallace back? Did I miss that? <laughs> no, they actually scored. So, uh, oh. Wow. Yes. Pew, 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 pew. Got him. Sorry, Ole Miss fans that listen. Yeah, I don't know how no. many there are. The, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, how did Phil putting your uh, Bill Gold post back in after <laughs> those games didn't happen? Uh, the, the thing about the Ole Miss uh, Mississippi State game, game number one, what 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 is Van doing? I what what is happening? I here? have a whole sub bullet point on the rundown for this. Why what, why why why? I, you know, because I, I picked. We tweeted our picks. I had Mississippi yeah. State winning the series because I thought, oh, Emily Williams uh-huh. start games one and three. You'll win those. Should have right? should have mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Emily Williams on the series, Tom, because she pitched in two games. 15 innings pitched, eight hits, three runs, zero earned runs, Tom, yeah. zero, eight walks, 14 strikeouts. She's she's good. We saw her. She's the reason why that Mississippi State got a game from Alabama. She is the bona fide ace. Yeah. Was she in trouble? I don't get it. She did not start game one. Instead, they start Candace Dennis, who was their three slash four, bring in Alyssa Loza, who is probably the other three slash four. Right. I don't know if they really have anybody behind Williams set in stone, but Emily Williams is your number one, and she did not pitch game one, and I don't understand. No, it, it made no sense. Uh, and then she gets lit up, and then you bring in Loza, and because you, you don't want to, at that point, you don't want to use Williams in that game. Right. So Loza has to take the. <laughs> the the four innings and 14 runs or whatever it was that she took. But there was no reason, especially at home. Yeah. And so, when really you're not like oh, Mississippi State's going to would make the tournament right now, but they're not sturdy. They're not set. No. I mean, their RPI is fine, but you know, that you loot, you get swept some that can change real quick. Just ask Texas right. A&M. Yeah. There is no reason to not put your best per best person out there to start things off. I mean, none. And it'd be one thing if Dennis had had really great success earlier on in the year or something and kind of fallen off and you, and you, and you saw her as she was practicing real well and things were looking really good. All right, we're going to put her out there. She had what pitched six innings this year or something. It was some, maybe it some was minuscule. Amount. It was low. She'd barely pitched in conference play. It would be like Alabama starting Madison Preston in game one of a series. And that's something against Madison Preston. It's just, she hasn't pitched much this year. It, it would, it make, it would make no sense to do it. 
And so I, I don't understand why to do that, especially. And it would also be like doing that against if Alabama was hosting Auburn and do that in game number one and give your opponent who is your biggest rival at your place all the momentum. I'll actually check things out with my stats here. Okay, up oh, stats. Including okay. yeah. that performance against Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Candace Dennis has now thrown a full three innings of conference play work. Three. Makes no sense. Come on, Van. What are you doing? So you basically threw away game one, and then you take and you win game two, which as, as weird as it was, I was not surprised. No, I actually would have been more shocked if Ole Miss had won game right. two. So and but now, you know, you, you have the really tough game three that goes into extra innings, and you you've thrown away your chance to win the series. Yeah. Just makes no sense. And if nothing else, you've kept Ole Miss in the race to possibly win the conference. Yeah. And you could have eliminated your biggest rival from conference play, but you started your four-string pitcher. So many questions. Texas A&M, they did not win on Sunday because they did not play on Sunday. They lost the series. On Saturday, they got swept by Missouri. First off, Missouri, just this is just a really good team. Mm-hmm. Many congratulations to Larissa Anderson. They're going to be a problem in the NCAA tournament should they be there for somebody, and probably in the SEC tournament as well should they be there. Yeah. Texas A&M is interesting. We said a couple weeks ago when we talked to uh, Eric Lopez from In the Circle that we think 13 teams is going to happen yeah. in the SEC. I'm not so sure anymore. Texas A&M has an RPI of 49. They're 25 and 21 overall, 3 and 15 in conference, 2 and 7 versus the RPI top 10. That's fine. 2 and 10 versus the top 25. Okay, so couldn't expand upon the top 10 wins. 1 and 9 on the road. That's bad. Yeah. And bad losses all at home against McNeese, Liberty, and North Texas. Now, three things to point out. Three top 50 wins, so just one more win outside of his top 10 RPI victories. Strength of schedule of 28. That's good. Non-conference strength of schedule of 167. Mm. That's bad. Yeah. A&M is in a lot of trouble, Tom. Who do they have left in the, in the the on their schedule? I will take a look right now because this is a team because, you know, we said that they were on a roll, and then mm. they are not anymore. They've been swept two weekends in a row. They've got Incarnate Word in the midweek. Then they host Arkansas this weekend, and then go to Tennessee. And they're twenty. They got twenty-five wins right now. Twenty-five and twenty-one. So you can expect a six-game cushion after Incarnate Word. Right. I think they need to get to thirty wins. Yeah, I think if they get to thirty wins, being in the SEC with their RPI where it is, I think they'll make it. But that means they would have to. They'll beat Incarnate Word twice yeah. in all likelihood. So they have to find wins against Arkansas, Tennessee, and at least one in the And I think that might be where the expansion of a tournament, should we go the full 13, will really help them because your opening game would be against a semi-bad Mississippi State team. Right. Which is also a good RPI win. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. A lot of ways to think about it. I just didn't expect for them to be in this situation. I I didn't see them getting swept two weekends in a row. Right. Yeah. When we said we thought they were making the tournament, we saw them kind of winning winning that last game like they did against Alabama uh, moving forward. But then losing... Losing to Florida even, you know, isn't that big, being swept by Florida, but then being swept by Missouri right after that, I think that really hurts them. Yeah. 
So RPI, we just mentioned it. Here is the updated SEC RPI. Again, a lot of big movers this week, people. LSU down to 7 from 6. Alabama up to 8 from 11. There Huge we go. jump, and rightfully so. Florida down to 9 from 8. Tennessee took a little hit, down 12 from 10. Ole Miss to 15 from 14. Kentucky up four spots, and they're playing in Game 3 right now against Auburn. They're from 20 to 16. South Carolina up three spots from 21 to 18 after two wins over UNC Greensboro. So, you know, it's a formula. (laughs) Auburn down three from 16 to 19. Arkansas up two, 25-23. Missouri up six, 36-30. Georgia up four, 35-31. Mississippi State down three from 30 to 33. And Texas A&M down eight from 41 (laughs) to 49. And key RPI numbers for Alabama opponents. Arizona up to three, Tom. Minnesota falls out of the top yeah. 10 from 9 to 11. And South Florida still hanging around the top 25 at number 25. Yeah, I appreciate that, South Florida. And you Minnesota doing like we like we said, once they started playing some of the dredge, dregs of the uh, Big Ten, or they're starting to fall even though they're still winning games. Really impressive at what Arizona's been able to do. And looking at who they still have left to play, Arizona still plays Washington and UCLA, which is <laughs> right up in there. So if they get some wins there, you know, just playing them is not they're they're probably not gonna fall a whole lot, you know, unless they get swept by both of them. So Well, just, maybe not, ask Texas. I yeah, mean, that's true. Yeah, I don't know what Texas is doing. Texas but. is number five somehow still. Yeah, that's ridiculous. There we'll go over their resume later. I don't quite get it. And Northwestern, how about the Wildcats up at number ten? Are they still undefeated in the Big Ten? They are. Well that I guess that's why, but wow. Will Northwestern play Minnesota? Have they already played? They will. That is the okay. regular season finale at Minnesota. That is probably... That's Northwestern season right there. Yeah. If you want to host, you win that series. Well, that's kind of Minnesota season, too. I mean, the winner of that series will be a regional host, and the loser may not be. I would I would lean more yes to that for Northwestern. I think Minnesota is a lot safer yeah. than Northwestern they got because more, of non-conference. They got some more at least non-conference games, and then Minnesota's wins against Texas are really going to help them, but... The losses to Alabama may not help as much. No. James Madison still hanging around at 14, Michigan at 13. So they just continued to kind of creep up there after they, they struggled to start off with. They were kind of one of those disappointing teams, but now they're, even though they are playing a Big Ten schedule, they keep creeping up in the RPI. Uh, I've seen a, a couple of, at least one bracketologies that has Michigan coming to Alabama for a, for a regional. So that, there may be one you kind of keep a lookout on. Florida State finally started taking their lumps from losing a couple of conference series uh, back to back. They're now down to six after being, I think they were one in the RPI, not, yeah. was it last week? Or last two week. Weeks ago? Okay. So yeah, that, that, that's, I don't think they're going to fall out of hosting super regionals unless they just really tank it at the end of the year here, but uh, they're not as safe as they once were. No, they're officially on my supers bubble, oh. which we will go over later on in the show. That is in segment four of the show, but First, we have to steal second. We've got our burners on, Tom. We've got yes. the sign. Flashing yellow light, but yeah. Bailey and Bill get the gets, gets stolen base. <laughs> we can do it, yes. too. Congratulations, Bailey. First <laughs> stolen base of the year. We've got the sign. It's time for us to steal second and talk with one of our friends, one of our favorites, Madison Shipman from ESPN and the SEC Network. That coming up as we steal second here on Out of the Box. Folks, to episode seven of Out of the Box, Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here with you, the dynamic radio duo for Alabama softball. And we are bringing back our first 
returning guest ever in the show's history, and it is one of our favorites, former Tennessee softball All-American, Madison Shipman from ESPN and the SEC Network, and also one of the hosts of Rally Cap on the SEC Network, a great show that you can catch at the end of every weekend. Madison, how are you? I am doing great. I'm very honored to be the first one asked back to be on you guys' podcast. Absolutely. We're glad to have you back. And and she's also one of Patrick Murphy's favorite opponent players to play against, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Coach Murphy actually coached me on the junior national team quite a few years ago, too. So he's one of my favorites as well. Well, uh, we're glad to have you back. You're one of our favorites on the show. And it was a good weekend for Patrick Murphy, to say the least. Alabama getting the sweep over Florida in Gainesville, taking two games from Kelly Barnhill, really just dominating the entire series. And a lot of people were talking now about Alabama and the statement that was made this past weekend. What statement do you think was made by Alabama in Gainesville over the weekend? Well, to me, I think they're proving a lot of doubters wrong. When they went on that 33-0 and streak back at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of people around that said, you know what, they're really not playing that many tough opponents. Let's see what happens when they get into SEC play. And what better way to prove your worth in the SEC than to go out there and sweep Florida at home. So I think that was a big series for them and a big confidence booster moving forward to show people that, hey, we're, we're legit. We're here. That 33-0 and run at the beginning of the year was definitely not a fluke. And I think that they played great in all three games down there in Gainesville. So would you put Alabama in the, uh, in the group of true uh, national championship contenders at this point? I definitely think so. I, I just think they're, they're really the complete package. They've got speed. They've got power. They've got great pitching as well. And I was really impressed, of course, Montana Fouts being back completely elevates their entire team. But they got great performances by Sarah Cornell and Crystal Goodman. I mean, Crystal Goodman got out there and had a a couple of innings where she got into jams but got big strikeouts when she needed them. And that's something that they're definitely going to need going into the postseason. Yeah, you mentioned the pitching staff, and this is obviously a very talented and special group just when you look at the stats. I mean, Fouts, an under one ERA, Crystal Goodman barely over one at 1.04, and Cornell at 1.81. A lot of those earned runs happening earlier in the year or in starts where she was pulled in conference play. What makes this really deep staff, that, and I didn't even get to Courtney Gettins or Madison Preston, but what makes this staff so special and work so well this year? I think they all complement each other really well. I mean, we saw Crystal Goodman with that devastating changeup. I mean, when she comes in there with that speed and then that changeup that's got a bit of an arc to it, a lot of hitters have a hard time adjusting back and forth. And I think Coach Van Brinkle Prothrow does a great job of setting up hitters as well with her pitch calling. But again, they just complement each other so well. Sarah Cornell comes in there with that screwball and she's not afraid to go hard into righty batters. And then Montana Fouts just bringing the heat with the changeup, and, and I know Alabama's glad to see her back out there in the circle for them. So on the flip side, Alabama gets a sweep at Florida. That puts Florida at 9-9 nine and nine in conference play, and something Tom and I talked a lot about during the broadcast uh, that I'm sure a lot of people have noticed is once you get past Lorenz and Lindemann, you have to beg somebody in that offense to beat you. I mean, this is a team with just four batters hitting over 200, over 200 in conference play and really no true number two behind Kelly Barnhill. So how much trouble is Florida in right now? Uh, You know, when I look at Florida, I definitely think that 
they're not a team I would want to face in the postseason. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they still have Kelly Barnhill in the circle, and she has the potential to strike out 15, 16 batters a game. Now, you're exactly right. They have not gotten production from the middle to the bottom of their order, and that's something that Coach Tim Walton's been wanting to see all the way back. You go back to that Tennessee series way at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. He keeps putting the same people out there trying to get them to get something done. Um, he's even tried to change up the lineup a little bit. He even put Sophia Reynoso up in that four spot to hit behind Lindemann just to try to change things up a little bit. I think that's where a lot of that is not so much to do with their swing mechanics, but it's a mental approach up at the plate. Those middle to bottom hitters in the order are getting themselves into good hitters counts and just not attacking the pitches that they should. So then you let the pitcher get back ahead and then you're fighting in a two strike count. So he needs to get those batters to have a better mental approach and attack those pitches when they get into good hitters count yeah you're exactly right I can't remember who it was I think it might have been Jordan Matthews one of the times she struck out in game three but I made the comment to Tom that it was a 3-1 count and she it was a pitch right down the middle from Crystal Goodman and there was no attempt to swing whatsoever and you could just tell that that was a take call made by Tim Walton and that's a pitch a 3-1 pitch that you know is going to be in the zone that you have to attack if you're an offensive player Yeah, and he's just trying to get people on base in that situation, and I think that kind of shows you the state of confidence as far as his players up at the plate goes. Hitting is just a crazy thing. You can go out there one day and the ball will look like a beach ball. The next day it looks like a golf ball coming in, and right now middle to bottom half of Florida's order, you can tell that the ball just looks like a tiny ping pong ball coming (laughs) in over the zone. But, again, they still have Lorenz and Lindemann who have just been – absolutely amazing throughout this entire year and really have carried the team up until this point because could you imagine where their team would be if they if they didn't have Lorenz or Lindemann transferring in from Minnesota yeah it would, it would not be pretty right now that's for sure but I I agree <laughs> if, if, you know anybody taking on Kelly Barnhill in the postseason there's not going to be an easy yeah. out uh, against them that's for sure uh Barring a, we're talking with Madison Shipman here on Out of the Box, and uh, taking a look at elsewhere in the SEC. Barring a, a Kentucky sweep of Alabama this weekend, um, it looks like it's going to come down to Alabama and LSU in the conference. But one of the uh, the biggest surprises I think from last week was Arkansas taking two out of three from LSU, including a run rule win at some point in that series as well. Uh, what do you make of LSU's uh, performance this past weekend against the Razorbacks? I think. For LSU, I think they need to get a bit better in the pitcher circle. I think we're getting to the point in the year. They're definitely a pitch-by-committee kind of a team, but their their pitchers are leaving that ball over the heart of the plate way too much. And now that we're deep into the season, there's several scouting reports on these pitchers. You can find tons of games online. They've got to try to do a better job of getting that ball lower in the zone, trying to induce some ground balls. LSU's offense is definitely their strong point for the team. They've absolutely blown out their numbers from last season. But this weekend, you saw their offense struggle a bit. I mean, even in that game three, they won game three. They had 13 hits and only scored three runs in that game. Mm -hmm. And it was all off of the bat of Amanda Doyle, who hit a three-run home run. So that's telling me that they're not being productive with runners in scoring position. And that is so vital when you get into the postseason and you're facing top pitchers across the country. You're not going to get runners into scoring position very often, so you need to make sure your hitters 
are prepared to get them in no matter what time of the game it is. Now, on the flip side of that, we've talked a lot about Arkansas struggles. We know that Mary Half has not been her usual uh, self. I think earlier in the year, kind of battling an injury and an illness, and now just trying to find her way back. The offense was anemic in conference play, and then suddenly they explode against LSU. So now is Arkansas kind of finding their way to be the team that a lot of us thought they might be in the preseason? I definitely think so, and, and I still I like the combination of Mary Half and, and Autumn Storms, and I think Coach Dyfel is using them very well. They split a lot of the games, and she starts one, and once she starts to feel like a team is getting onto the one pitcher, she brings in the other, and because they throw completely opposite, it's very hard for hitters to try to prepare a game plan against them. You've got Autumn Storms that works the ball down in the zone, that drop ball, and you've got Mary Hass that works the ball mostly up in the zone with a lot of spin and that changeup as well. And typically, as a hitter, you're going to be better at either drop balls or rise ball. Very few hitters are good at adjusting their swings to hit both. But I think she's done a great job of utilizing both of them in the circle to maximize success. Another surprise this past weekend, I think, was Georgia taking two out of three from Tennessee uh, with the Vols taking on uh, Ole Miss this weekend in Oxford. It's a big series for both those teams. They both still have outside chances at a conference title, but they probably need to get a sweep over the other to really stay, uh, stay in contention there. Um, what do you think the Lady Vols need to do this weekend to kind of bounce back after the loss to Georgia? Well, one of the things when I'm watching that series, they're changing their defense constantly. And and I know, obviously, my sister Allie Shipman was hurt earlier in the year. But you think by this point, they have more of a solidified defense. But it seemed like every Mm -hmm. half inning, there were new people out in the outfield, new people in the infield. And that's something once you get into the postseason, you want to try to have a, a stable lineup so that people have a consistent mindset up at the plate. And when you're changing the the defense and and the hitting lineup around constantly, that makes it very hard for people to get into a routine. Now, I know they had some fluke things happen yesterday where Haley Bearden fouled off off a ball into her face mask up at the plate, so she had to be taken out of the game. Um, It was interesting. Ashley Rogers was actually slated to start game three but didn't start, so I'm not exactly sure what happened there. But for them, it's just get back in the saddle and and try to produce some runs and and get some production from the middle of their order. You look back at that that Florida series earlier in the year, and Kaylee Phillips and Kaylin Hannon were players that were producing all the time. And now they've they've relied heavily on Haley Bearden. And now that she – I mean, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I hope that she's okay, but I know she got pulled out of that game. But it's very hard when you get down the stretch of the season to just rely on one hitter. You've got to get production all the way through your order. And quick side note is, uh, how is uh, your sister Allie doing? We know we were all very uh, hated to see the uh, the injury happen to her. Yeah, she's doing, she's doing well. She uh, finally had surgery about two weeks ago, so she's officially on the road to recovery. She's got a nifty little scooter that she rides around <laughs> campus, so that's been, that's been a bit of a game changer for her, and I will say I did test it out a couple of times. It's a lot harder to drive than it looks, especially she's got one cast on one of her arms, so I don't know how she does it. But, uh, <laughs> she's but multi-talented. She's and she, 
Yes, she is multi-talented. <laughs> uh, both my mom and I tried to, to ride it and race it, and we, we definitely failed in that part. But uh, she's staying positive, and she's uh, cheering on her teammates 100% of the way. That's great. We hope to definitely see her back 100% next season. Yeah, we uh, we were really yes, upset I to hear that news. waiting to get back out there. Yeah, and, and as you said, it's kind of obvious that her team misses her. Tennessee is one of those teams that is in, I, I would say, on the bubble right now to host Super Regionals. There, there are a couple teams in the SEC see in that position a couple that are on the bubble to host regionals and the way i see it i think tops you're going to get three unless something really changes down the stretch you're going to get three sec teams hosting supers and including those probably six sec teams hosting regionals do you see it kind of the same way yeah i definitely think so and you know tennessee's had a great season up until this point really i mean they dropped that series to, to auburn um, I think they can still get some really strong pitching from Ashley Rogers. The freshman's just been unbelievable for them. And that's what they were missing last year. You go back to that super regional where they lost to Georgia actually and got knocked out. They really, they were just missing that one extra arm in the circle for them. And I think they've been getting that out of Ashley Rogers. So they definitely still had that potential. And, you know, I, I talked about it. It's kind of the dog days of the season where the new, the newness of season is way in the past and the postseason is just out of reach. So these are the days that you need to grind it out, keep on working so that you can finally get to the postseason. And then there's this refreshing feeling of excitement and you, you can't wait and you're doing whatever you can to win every single ball game. So I think you might see some teams uh, start to step up as that postseason gets closer. One of the things that Gray and I talk a lot about is uh, the the out of the box rule. Uh, again, kind of the name of the show, so we get kind of it it, 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 t- it ties in some. But uh, we see it, and it's the problem that we have with it is that it's called so inconsistently, and you're seeing batters being called out on plays where they're really gaining no advantage. Do you really gain that much of advantage when your toe is is over the uh, is over the the chalk? Yeah, if, if it's like two or three feet out in front, then yeah, there's an advantage there, but there's not if it's just a toe. So we would like to see the rule change to where it is just a strike or a foul ball instead of the player being automatically out for being called out of the box, similar to like an illegal pitch is just a ball. So why is out of the box and out when it should just be a strike? Uh, just wanted to get your opinion on that, if you agree with us or if you had a different take. I completely agree. I really struggle with that rule, especially like you said, when they're calling it where, I mean, the the girl's foot is clearly on the line or her baby toe is just hanging over the chalk line by just a little bit. Mm -hmm. The umpires have a hard enough job back there behind the plate judging balls and strikes, and and I don't know how they're supposed to judge whether or not a slapper's baby toe is hanging out of the line. Um, So I'm with you. I think it – my struggle with it is the inconsistencies. And you look at it from a coaching perspective, are you going to change your slapper's approach to the plate because of one out of every three umpires that's going to call it? Or do you just let them keep on going and hope that they don't get called for it? So the inconsistency is something that I definitely struggle with. And then when I'm watching, obviously if the slapper's foot is hanging over home plate, then by all means, you know, go ahead and call them out. But there's sometimes, like you said, where, they're either not over the chalk line or they're just barely over the chalk line. And I don't think that warrants being called out immediately 
making contact with the ball. Well, and especially in certain situations where, you know, if that happens and you've got a toe over the line, and as Tom said, it really doesn't give the batter that much of an advantage. But if you're called for it, the runners have to go back. It completely changes the momentum of a game. You're taking off or taking out of the game one of the assumed speedsters on a team. I mean, it really is a game-changing call when made in certain situations. And we talk a lot about in sports how we don't want the referees and the umpires to decide how games finish but eventually down the road there's going to be a major one of these calls made that will affect say who wins a national championship or who wins a conference tournament or who wins a regular season title oh i completely agree and and i think it was actually caleb Rowe and i talking about it believe it was last season and it's the one chalk line on the field where you don't get to utilize the entire thing. I mean, you even think about the pitching lanes that are out there in the pitcher circle. And as long as their baby toe is remotely touching the chalk line, they are completely legal. And then mm. you've got, you go into the batter's box and the slappers, once their feet are just a hair outside, they immediately get called out. And another thing is uh, there's been some, there's some hitters that like to crowd the chalk line and they'll step across. But I think because they're not slappers, umpires aren't typically looking for it because they're just standing in their hitting, even though they are breaking the rules as well. So I think that's where I'm seeing inconsistencies uh, with the calls and that, and that's where some of the frustrations are coming from. Talking with Madison Shipman here, stealing second with Madison on out of the box. All right, Madison, before we let you go as just like last time, we had some social media questions come in for you. So I've got two, one from at UA Shane. He wants to know who do you consider Tennessee's biggest softball rival? Ooh, biggest softball rival. So there's two schools that come to mind immediately and it's Alabama and Florida, especially when I was playing Alabama and Florida were definitely the top teams in the league. And I even told a story the other day about uh, my freshman year going up against Alabama where they were ranked number one. And that was when we played them in a midweek doubleheader. So those games were always exciting. And of course, Florida, they usually got the best of my teams, but we did sweep them in Knoxville my senior year. So I got to go out on a high note with them. Yes, uh, we, we know what sweeps of Florida are like, too, thankfully. And I can, I'm can i sure you know as much as we do that they're very sweet. Um, and then another one from at SC Applegate. Do you have a desire to be a college coach? Because a lot of people, you know, they jump from playing into going into coaching. Uh, you're with TV right now, but do you have any desire to maybe be back on the sidelines at any point in the future? I will say that I do not not at this point, right when I was done playing, I was the volunteer assistant for Tennessee for three seasons. And I think that's about all the coaching college <laughs> coaching that, that I want. I've, uh, I've transferred into TV and I definitely love it. Not that I didn't love coaching, but I've just kind of found what really makes me happy. And that's uh, getting to go on shows and talk with you guys about, about softball and get to watch softball all day long. So I don't think I've got too bad of a gig doing what I'm doing now. And, uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't blame you at all because the thing is about coaching <laughs> that I've seen just, just being around the team, I've done zero coaching in, in my <laughs> life. Tom, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know it shocks you, but um, is that there's so much other stuff other than softball that you have to deal with when you're a coach. It just it seems like there's, there's, oh, yeah. there's that coaching softball is one of the, the, the things that you would love to be able to do just that, but there's so much other stuff. I couldn't have said it better myself. There's, there's so many other things going on, whether it be 
recruiting or you know, meetings and, and all sorts of stuff. And, of course, the, the highlight of the day was actually being able to spend time with the kids and coaching them up. But that was a very small portion of every day in the coach's life and have so much respect for everybody that's out there, given they're all trying to make these girls as good of softball players as they possibly can be and human beings as well. Well, we are glad you are not coaching anyone right now because it gives you the chance to talk to us, Madison Shipman. Uh, thank you so much for stealing second with us here on the show. It was great to talk to you again this year, and uh, hopefully we can do it one more time before the season's up. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me back. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. That is Madison Shipman stealing second with us. And now it is time for us to round third. I have perused the numbers. I have made my charts and I've got bracketology. We're going to talk about that when we round third here on episode seven of Out of the Box. Welcome back. Episode 7, Out of the Box. Madison Shipman just joined us as we stole second with her. Isn't she just great? Knocking it out of the park like she was still hitting for the balls at this point. Man, Madison Shipman, you're awesome. Thank you for joining us once again. We'll probably get her back at some point. When we're at NCAA tournament time and we're kind of running out of shows before the end of the year, we're going to just bring everybody back. <laughs> it's just yes. going to be a guest full show. And maybe we'll see her in Oklahoma City if we go there. Maybe. That would be awesome. That'd be great. And we yeah. don't know where she'll be for regionals. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Lots of choices. Lots of choices. But now it is time for us to round third. Round third like Reagan Dykes with no one covering no home. One, never, no one's covering home, which makes it easy to score. <laughs> yes. Uh, Ke- we're, Ke- Kelly Barnhill just watching, <laughs> not covering anything. Yes, it was uh, It was on Kelly Barnhill, actually. It was. I went back and watched it. That is, 100%. That is her spot. She yep. had to get there. Yep. She didn't do it. But nope. anyway, we're rounding third, and it's time for the first edition of Bracketology, Tom. I've got the stats. Nice. You got music you're going to play behind this, edit this in later? Of course I do. Oh, Are you kidding me? Yeah, 100%. We've been, we've been amping up. We've had like three clips with music. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're doing great. Okay, so here's how I have it. Now, I have included the following stats. We're not going through this for every team, obviously. We're going to pick, pick some teams, pick some spots I put people in and discuss them. Mm-hmm. But I've taken into account the following stats that I think the committee will, or personally should, take, a note, take <laughs> note of. Right. Overall record, obviously, conference record, RPI, strength of schedule, Record versus the RPI top 10 versus the RPI top 25 and versus the top 75 road record, the worst loss, best wins, average RPI of wins, average RPI of losses. And I've also got the future schedules on here so we can talk about who they play. Okay. So here is what we have. And by we, I mean me. Right. Yes, you've you've had a lot more time to work on this. This is me. Yes. At me. Do not at Tom. If you disagree with these, (laughs) it's all me. Okay. My number one overall seed, Tom, the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, I can't, can't really argue with that at this point. Yeah, number two, UCLA. Then it gets dicey. Mm-hmm. I've got number three, Alabama, four, Arizona, five, Florida State, and I think they're trending down, yep. six, LSU, seven, Washington. I struggled with that one. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Eight, Tennessee, nine, Texas, 10, Florida, 11, Minnesota, 12, Ole Miss, 13, Michigan, 14, Oklahoma State, 15, Northwestern, 16, Kentucky, with on just the outside, Auburn, South Carolina, James Madison, Louisiana Lafayette, and maybe Texas Tech. Maybe, if they can get a couple games going forward. So that would mean your Supers matchups would be 116, Oklahoma, Kentucky, 215, UCLA, Northwestern, 314, Alabama, Oklahoma State, 413, 
Arizona, Michigan, 512 Florida State, Ole Miss, 611 LSU, Minnesota, 710 Washington, Florida in cool. Seattle. Oh, wow. And eight, yeah, nine, enjoy that flight, guys. Yeah, have fun. Uh, and 89 Texas going back to Tennessee to take on the Lady Vols. Hmm. So, what catches your eyes? Where do you think I'm right? Where do you think I'm wrong? What do you think, Tom? Uh, first of all, sign me up for that 314 right now if that's if that's the case. You want Sam Shaw back, uh, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I would love to take take that on. Uh, but um I think you have Texas a little bit lower than they'll end up being just because the fact that they are still in the RPI so high as they are, uh, I could see the the committee wanting Texas to be a super regional host uh, and, and keeping them in the top eight. Uh, a lot of it's a lot of that's going to have to do with if Arizona is able to say Arizona sweeps Washington, I could see Washington falling out of the yeah, top. Yeah, me eight. too. I um I really struggled with Texas and Tennessee, and I had to kind of just take a broad five thousand foot look at it. Yeah, and the things that really jumped out to me: one, Tennessee has three RPI top ten wins. Texas has zero. Texas zero and four. Tennessee three and three. Texas does have ten top 25 RPI wins. Tennessee has seven. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the losses, Tennessee, or excuse me. uh, Yeah. Tennessee, two losses at Georgia. That's their worst loss of the year. 31, the RPI, That's not bad. Texas worst loss to Wisconsin RPI average win for Texas. 76 for Tennessee at 78 and RPI average losses for Tennessee. 19 for Texas. 14. I just had to look at who the best wins were against Tennessee has a win against Texas, which right now RPI wise, that's a really good win sure. Two at Florida and a win over Minnesota. Texas has equally a road game at Tennessee that they won a win over Minnesota and then two wins against Ole Miss. So it was really splitting hairs. I put more stock into winning at Florida two games instead of winning at home against Ole Miss twice. And that's why I made that decision. And then that also makes this weekend series between the Vols and the Rebels not just for the SEC, but for as far as regionals and or super regionals, yeah, very big, very huge for and, both those teams. And, you know, you could argue Texas number two strength of schedule. Well, Tennessee's number eight. Right. So it's, you know, I, I'm not going to make a big deal of strength of schedule unless you're dealing with like a two versus 30. Right. Two the, versus eight. Not much of a difference. The thing about for an SEC team, strength of schedule is never going to be an issue. Yeah. Even if you have a garbage non-conference schedule, your in-conference schedule is going to going to raise you up. No, see, see Georgia. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, Texas going forward, they have Prairie View A&M, mm-hmm. three games at Kansas, Incarnate mm-hmm. Word, and two games at home against Baylor. So I think they, we're going to see... Win out. They should. I think right. we're going to see the RPI go a bit down, but I think we're going to see them win enough where Tennessee probably not winning out. A couple other teams around Texas probably not winning out. I imagine that we will see Texas move into the top eight. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then Big 12... With their conference, they have a conference tournament. They do. It's it's weird. It's, it's, it's a, a weird round one, robin. Yeah, 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 yeah. it I, doesn't make sense. I knew there was some sort of. But so you know, we'll see how how that affects them if they can get in that tournament and maybe you know avenge one of the losses to Oklahoma they had this past weekend. Uh, they could, it would definitely solidify it. Texas and Washington are the two that are very interesting to see how it goes. You know, you have as I mentioned before that you know Arizona now at number three in the RPI, but they still have UCLA and Washington left to play. There's still a lot can be said what's going to happen out in the Big 12. Yeah. Pac-12, you know, excuse me. Just looking at Washington, I just wasn't blown away. Yeah. I mean, one and four against the RPI top 10. That's just one win. Arizona yeah. has that, but they have a lot more top 25 wins at eight. Washington just has five. They've done a lot of their work between 26 
and 75. Yeah. They've got 28 of those top 75 wins, a 10 and 1 road record. But the loss at Utah is really going to hurt because that's the worst loss of anybody on the board pretty, yeah. pretty easily. Wow. And, uh, and then you've got a future schedule of three games at Arizona. I have a hard time seeing them sweep, certainly. No, and I no. think they actually would lose that series in mm-hmm. a couple weeks. And then three games at home against the Stanford team that maybe could steal a win. Yeah. I just have a hard time seeing Washington right now, unless they went out, which, again, I don't see happening, getting above maybe a six. Yeah, the thing about them, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt if it's a if it's it comes down to them and somebody like right. a, like a Northwestern or somebody. Washington's going to get that get that benefit of the doubt because they've been there. Yeah, and then the other thing, Alabama at three. I have Alabama at three ahead of Arizona because they beat Arizona right. at Arizona. I have them uh, at three because I think that sweeping Florida. Is a, at Florida is a little bit better than winning two games at home like LSU did. I'm just you mm-hmm. know comparing some things and yeah, resume. You could look at Alabama's strength of schedule 36 is one of the weaker in my packet. RPI up to eight, but eight and two against the RPI top 25. They're yeah. not playing a ton of those games, but they're winning them. Yeah, and four and zero oh against the RPI top 10 with a road record of 12 and three, and three games on the road at Florida, two against Minnesota, one at Arizona, and chances going forward. I, at this point, would be very shocked if Alabama is not hosting Super Regionals, to be quite honest. Oh, especially if Alabama wins the SEC. Yeah. The SEC champion is not going to be below a four seed. No. 100%. I don't care what their RPI is. I don't care. The SEC champion is going to be at least a top four. Yeah. So, so. I, And as I see it, head-to-head has to matter. So yeah. I've got Alabama ahead of Arizona. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And then I struggled at the end with Kentucky versus James Madison. For whatever reason, I you know James Madison building up that gaudy record, but then you really get into the all right. What is how much does RPI factor in? They're fourteen right now. How much does strength of schedule factor in? James Madison yeah. is forty. Kentucky is one. That's right. You're not going to beat Kentucky in the strength no. schedule. Uh, um, James Madison doesn't have a top ten win. Kentucky has one, but the difference is Kentucky's played seven of those games. James Madison has played one. Right. So it was hard for me. James Madison does have wins over Tennessee and Michigan. Kentucky has wins at LSU over James Madison, which was a big deciding point for me, yep. and Ole Miss, and potentially about to get a three-game sweep over Auburn, who's fighting for host position. It was just hard for me to not put Kentucky in there. The only thing about Kentucky is, be, like I said, with Washington, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt as, you know, if it's close, uh, they're going to get in. Kentucky has been the 16th seed, I think, the last two seasons. Yeah. And have not... Not pulled the upset, you know. They've they, they took one from Oregon last year. At some point, is there a fatigue of continuing to put them at the at that spot? Because if somebody's at sixteen, you know that there were it was a close that there's there you know that they maybe th- well let's let's give it to somebody else this time yeah. and put Kentucky on the road. For well, us. and Kentucky has the most pitfalls going forward of anybody. Yeah. James Madison closes with Virginia twice, Drexel three times, and three road games at Delaware. Kentucky, they, 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 they should win those. They should. <laughs> Kentucky's playing Auburn as we record. Right. Midweek against Eastern Kentucky. Fine. Road trip at Alabama mm-hmm. and two games at Texas Tech to close the season. Could Those could be big. Really big. I mean, gigantic. You, yeah. you would think for Kentucky to feel good, they got to win one at Alabama. And then they probably need to win both against Texas Tech because then you get into the head-to-head of it. Right. Texas Tech sweeps that miniseries. You know, Texas Tech might have a bigger argument over Kentucky. Yeah. And I also think back to a few years ago when James Madison was a regional host. I remember 
like how big of how great of an atmosphere it was and how ESPN loved it. And again, I think people give ESPN TV quote, you know, way too much pull on these things. I don't, I don't think they have near as much as people give them credit for, but you know, you gotta be thinking, do you, if you're, if you're even the committee, are you putting out a tournament that has all power five or do you want to have that Cinderella in there with it with a real opportunity, which where you could give it to a James Madison type team? Maybe. Or you could give it to a Northwestern. That was another yeah. team. I it was, They're impossible to rate. I had them at 15. And as I kept adjusting the list, they just kept moving down. And 10 in the RPI, that's good. Yeah. 20 in the strength of schedule, that's better than it should be in the Big Ten, to be quite honest. Yeah. But 0-3 against the RPI top 10, just five games, 2-3 and three against the top 25. Wow. And 13 top 75 what, wins. What, what do they have left on their, their schedule? They've got a midweek doubleheader against Illinois, a three-game road trip at Michigan State, and then the three games at Minnesota. I mean, I think if Northwestern wants to feel comfortable, they have to certainly they, – they can't lose to Illinois or Michigan State. No. And Illinois, they have to Illinois win the improved. Illinois improved. They're better, but, yeah, but that, they, that'll hurt. Yeah. Michigan State's terrible, so they should sweep them. And then, it's yeah, they're going to have to win that series against Minnesota. To be to be a top eight, I think they can lose that series to Minnesota, depending on what they do in the Big Ten tournament, and still be a regional host. But I, I don't think they can get in the top eight without pretty much sweeping out. Yeah, maybe losing one to Minnesota at the most. So right now, here's what I've got on the safe bubble, safe bubble track, super safe. These are the five teams, four teams, excuse me, that I think are safe right now to host supers, barring catastrophe: UCLA, Oklahoma, Arizona, Alabama. Any disagreement? Yep. No. Because I don't see, even with Arizona playing the tough schedule that they have, I don't think they're going to get, they could lose both those series, and I think they'll be a top eight. Yeah. that They don't need to get swept in both the series. But, you know, if they, if they lose one, two to one, those two series, they'll be fine. Supers bubble, Florida State, Texas, Florida, Washington, Tennessee. And I think that's it. I think of your super shows, you will not see anybody outside those teams, those nine teams that I named, being in the top eight. Say the nine. Say the nine again. So the safe teams: UCLA, Oklahoma, Arizona, Alabama, mm-hmm. and then on the bubble for me: Florida State, Texas, Florida, Washington, Tennessee. I would put Northwestern in there as a really as a bubble. Yeah, interesting. Again, just for the something new factor. Okay, and then for safe regionals, I've got Minnesota, Ole Miss, Michigan. I think that they can struggle down the stretch and they'd be fine. Regionals but, and sorry, and I'd also put Northwest. I'd put Northwestern slash Minnesota as in that top. Yeah, yeah, I've got Northwestern on the regionals bubble because I just think that the lack of top twenty-five RPI wins and you know just but it, but 13, if they win, but if they win the Big Ten, I think that. Oh no, I agree. I agree. No, yeah. they win the Big Ten, they're fine. But yeah. I, I think that's that's also meaning they have to beat, beat Minnesota. Minnesota, right? So I think if that doesn't happen, you could see them on the. On the bubble for regionals, I've got Oklahoma State there as well. James Madison, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Auburn with Louisiana on the outside and two teams that can fight their way into the conversation. Texas Tech, I think they have to win out, and Arkansas, who also would have to win out. I think this game that's being played right now, if if Kentucky beats Auburn and sweeps sweeps them, I think you can eliminate Auburn. Really? Yeah. We'll see. Maybe. I'm always... I might, I'm sometimes premature in eliminating Auburn from things, but <laughs> what, who, who does Auburn have? Auburn has, who does Auburn have left? Auburn has going forward three games at home against Florida and three at Arkansas. Yeah. They got to win this game. Wow. Auburn, by the way, Owen one against the RPI top 10, four and seven 
RPI top 25, 17 and 12 against the top 75. But the two things that really kept them out of even the conversation, in my opinion, just nine road games. This right now that's playing against Kentucky is their 10th road game of the year, and they are five and four. Yeah, they hosted a lot of tournaments, quote unquote, at, at Plainsman Park there that uh, weren't real daunting. No. <laughs> and then the best wins, two at Tennessee, really great. Yeah. And then one against South Carolina at home, and everything behind that is mid-20s. And they, and they had some bad losses early in the year, too. Yeah, Missouri State right now, their worst loss at 74. Louisiana Tech is in the low 60s as well. So, And that's, and that's the one thing you can kind of say for what Alabama has done. Even in the last couple of years when they've, they've, had, they've had their issues, Alabama has avoided that really bad loss. You know that they have that they haven't lost to just teams that are you know below RPI top fifty that I can remember. So are you're looking at it now that A and M loss. We need A and M to kind of ride it ride the ship a little bit so it doesn't become a uh, less than top fifty loss. Yeah, they keep creeping down. Yeah, I know. Stop that. Don't do C- that. Come Joe. on, come on, Joe. So anything else, Tom? Before we cut it off with the bracketology. Ah, sounded good. I'm looking forward to seeing. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what? it will all change by right. next show. Good, good work. Now it's all going to wipe it out, and we'll do it again next week. Yeah, I've made note. Here are a couple series that are important for this weekend. Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. Huge. Uh, Texas oh, Tech yeah. has to sweep that, I think. Arizona at Cal, just because can Arizona can't keep af- winning? Yeah, they can't afford losses. Northwestern at Michigan State for the reasons we've discussed. Florida it, at Auburn. If Michigan State steals one from Northwestern, forget everything I said about Northwestern. Yeah. <laughs> Florida at Auburn. Yeah. Florida, I think, has to certainly win the series if they want to have a chance to host Supers. Mm-hmm. Tennessee at Ole Miss. Again, very middle of a line. I think Ole Miss is fine. Tennessee trying to get in the Supers conversation. Road wins like that would be huge. Yep. Uh, LSU at Baylor. Can't lose those games. You just can't. Right. And obviously Kentucky-Alabama because Alabama, you know, we talk about – how confident we are going into that series. That's the series Alabama can't lose or else everything we've just discussed goes right out the window. Yep, 100%. So that is my bracketology. Again, at me, do not at Tom. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. That is all me, Gray Robertson, (laughs) at Gray underscore Robertson on Twitter. So it is time for us, Tom, to head home. Predictions. Do we have to do them? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Tom is winning. We'll get to the results later. Plus, Tom's hungry. Yes. Who's surprised? (laughs) I am, but we'll also do the segment. (laughs) That coming up here on episode seven of Out of the Box. Welcome back. It is time for the final segment of the show. We're heading home, Tom. Yes. Put on your joggers, as they say across the pond, (laughs) and just get ready to shuffle off to Buffalo back home. Let's do it. We have a, we've had a great show. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama, proceeded to announce our live show, except it's not live. We're just right. recording it. Live to tape. Yes, live to tape at Good Bull Barbecue and College Station SEC Tournament. Please come by and say hello if you want to. We're going to be there. Right. And, you know, an open invite to Seven Innings Podcast and in the circle. Come on down. You may come. We, there will be barbecue. <laughs> so <laughs> barbecue. We know one thing in College Station: there'll be barbecue and tacos. That's so we correct. are ready for both, and it's delicious. Yes. So open invite to those two podcasts for joining us. We broke down the Florida sweep, then we advanced to first, talked about the SEC and Texas A and M potentially being in tournament trouble. Then we stole second and discussed college softball headlines with the Madison Shipman. Mm-hmm. Good to have her back. Then we rounded third, and I 
really just revealed myself to the world with my bracketology. Please rip it apart if you want. <laughs> I am not an expert by any means. That is my best guess based on the numbers I have. And now we head home. And we start, as always, with the predictions. Yes. Terrible, terrible week for Gray. Zero correct. <laughs> Goose egg. Z- literally zero. I thought about taking Oklahoma in a sweep. And then I thought, nah, Texas will Surely. get Texas will get warm. Surely Texas will, yeah. Nope. They did not. Nope. And we both miss an Alabama series again. Right. Which I think we should just start predicting the other team to sweep, and then we'll definitely definitely be wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we're yeah. doing any better right. than what yeah. we're doing now. Yep. So you got one right. You got Ole Miss 2-1 over Mississippi State, which, yeah. again, I, I think I would have gotten it right if Van had not been stupid. Right. What are you doing, Van? And you've potentially got two right. We'll see what happens in Kentucky-Auburn. You have Kentucky 2-1. I'll be fine getting that one wrong. <laughs> so now it is time for this week's picks. We but, start, And also, we didn't get a chance to gloat or talk about the weeks before We just because we didn't have a show last week. Right. I, I did get credit for my master's you did. prediction correct. You did. You said, yeah, and off the cuff, too. Just 100% Tiger off the cuff, Woods. Which I'm glad I didn't think about it because I probably wouldn't have taken Tiger <laughs> had I had I had a moment to think. But no, T- went with Tiger and one of the one of the best sports moments of recent memory. Absolutely. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I took Rory McIlroy. That mm. was dumb. Well, you know, he Just, was playing well. A lot of people did. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, these picks really bode well for my bracketology. <laughs> All right. So let's start with this weekend. Georgia at South Carolina. We know from experience, Columbia can be a really tough place to play. Mm -hmm. Georgia coming in off a series win. I'm struggling with this one, Tom, so I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, you can't really take a whole lot. You don't really know what South Carolina is doing. They played UNC Greensboro this past week, and they actually struggled in one of those games. UNC Greensboro had the lead uh, late into the game before South Carolina finally took back over. You know, both teams kind of playing pretty well entering this weekend. I think Georgia's offense is going to be enough to get him one, but I'm going to say South Carolina wins two, one. I agree with you. Give me South Carolina two, one, just a note. As we said earlier in the show, this could be a big series for sec tournament positioning South Carolina in 10th right now in the conference at seven and 10 Georgia in 11th at seven and 11. Yeah. So who does not want to play the five seed? Right. Let's find out or if, the six seed or whoever. Right. And really, if you're the five seed, if Missouri's appeal is approved, and Missouri gets to play in this tournament, the worst position you can be in is be the five seed. Yep. Because you're having to play that last game on Wednesday and you won't know who your opponent is until the first game is over. So you won't be able to do any, you know, you'll have to advance scout two teams instead of the one it's, you know, you want to avoid that five seed. Obviously you want to be the you know, four better to get the buy, but if you're not going to get the buy, you'd almost rather be the six seed than the five. Is that a, ta- are you asking someone to tank? I'm not Tom? saying you tank. I'm just saying, <laughs> Five seeds, not where you want to be. Okay. So we both take South Carolina 2-1. How about this? I'm, I have no idea about this next series. <laughs> Florida at Auburn. Yeah. I have no clue. I don't trust Auburn because they mm. still don't have Michaela Martin. And as far right. as I know, she won't be back until the postseason based on what I've heard. Mm-hmm. But gosh, how do I pick Florida after watching them last weekend? It's hard to trust Florida, but the same, I'll say it again, look at the results and not what yeah. you what you think of the team or maybe even what they you saw against Alabama because Alabama has shown they have the capability of making teams look bad that aren't that bad I know I I'm going to take Florida 2-1 I think that Tim Walton fires up his team I think they find something this weekend I, I still think Auburn boy without Michaela Martin they're just they're just not as good you get good individual performances but as a staff it, there's an obvious hole yeah and you still got Kelly Barnhill pitching two games I've liked Florida to lose game two, as always. But <laughs> right. 
I like the Gators to win the series 2-1. I'm with you. I think Florida wins the Barnhill games and loses the second game. Way to vary it, Tom. Yeah, sorry. That's just what, I, you know, you went first. Yeah, so. you're right. All right, Missouri <laughs> at Mississippi State. This is a, actually a pretty important series for Mississippi State as they try and better position themselves for the NCAA tournament. I don't think they're in danger, but they will be if they get swept at yeah. home again. Who do you have? I'm going to say, oh, wow. Man, this one's a tough one. It's a tough weekend. Yeah. You know what you're going to do? You can go first if you want to. I, on this one. I don't really. I okay. kind of do. I think I will go first. Okay. Missouri, two out of three. Okay. I don't know why. I, <laughs> I trust the Missouri offense from a depth perspective and a one through nine more than I trust Mississippi State when they really have to rely on one through four and hope for a good hit from five, five through nine. Yeah. And hope that Emily Williams actually starts. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Give me Missouri to one very hesitantly. <laughs> I am going to say Van writes her, her wrong from this past weekend. I think she starts Emily Williams and I think Mississippi state gets two out of three. Watch Mississippi state sweep. <laughs> very possible at this point. Could totally happen. <laughs> All right. How about this again? Tough weekend. Yeah. Tennessee at Ole Miss. I'll let you go first again. Yeah. I'm going to say, and this may just be a little bit of hoping because I don't want the fact that Ole Miss had a game rained out, have something to do with the final standings in the SEC as far as who the champion is. So I'm going to say Tennessee writes it a little bit, and I'm going to go Tennessee wins two out of three. I'm going to agree with you, mainly because Ole Miss, and this was part of my reasoning for picking Mississippi State as well, Ole Miss has to lose a series at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, I think they're the only team in the conference that hasn't lost a series yet. Which is amazing. Incredible. Props to Coach Smith and what they're doing down yeah. in Oxford, but it has to end at some point. Somebody is going to get two games off them, and I think it will be Tennessee this weekend. I've got the balls. Lady balls, two out of three. All right. All right. Arkansas at Texas A&M. This is Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Interesting choice. Arkansas <laughs> in College Station. I think that A&M is in free fall, but I think they're going to steal one. I've got Arkansas 2-1. The thing is with Arkansas is that they have been so inconsistent as well as they played last week. They could come out and totally lay an egg this weekend. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And you wouldn't be surprised either way. I'm going to say Texas A&M wins two out of three. Really? I think they'll, they'll win the Sunday game because that's when they, that's when they win. And then they'll be on such a high from winning Sunday. Oh, we're going to play again Monday. <laughs> and, th- and they take the series. You actually kind of have me convinced. Might, I <laughs> yes. might change, but I won't <laughs> with that in-depth analysis. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I didn't even mention it. You are up 11 to eight. So yes, I have to, I have to gain some ground at some somewhere. point. Yeah. So then the final series, Kentucky at Alabama, I will go first. Okay. I, I really think it's easy. I don't see a scenario mentally. I've I've mapped the games out. I've thought about it. I don't see a scenario where Kentucky gets a game, and that's not me as the Alabama radio guy. That's me as a softball watcher who's seen these teams, seen the inconsistency from Kentucky, and seen how dang good Alabama's been lately, pitching and offensively. I just don't see a scenario where Kentucky gets a game, especially in Tuscaloosa. So give me Bama in the sweep. Here's the thing about Alabama's pitching, and again – Alabama has three of the top four pitchers in ERA in the conference. Chris Goodman, first, 1.02. Is that good, Tom? That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, Sarah Cornell, third, at 1.60. And Montana Faust at fourth, at 1.75. And without the game against Texas A&M on Sunday, when she was really feeling her the, the injury probably worse than she had all season long, it's lower than that. 
So you have that great pitching staff. I'm not going to go as far as say that I don't see a way that Kentucky takes one or or even two because Kentucky's offense is is a dynamic offense. It, it is. It is. If if for some reason you know say this say Sarah Cornell is still walking batters like she was in Florida, but not getting the strikeouts, then you know that it could be it could be a tough matchup for Alabama. Uh, because you've all, you would have already pitched Montana in game number one, you wouldn't want to bring her back in, and maybe you know you get into the bullpen and, and there's some issues. I, I think that's the best possible scenario for Kentucky to getting get one. That being said, I think Alabama sweeps. You do, yeah, I, I I really do. I I think this pitching staff has done such a great job of making teams that are good offensive teams like Missouri, like Georgia, like Florida, even even with. Their issues they've had at the bottom of the lineup. Again, Lorenz and Lindemann are two of the best, if not the best, hitters in the entire conference. And Alabama, you know, minimized their impact throughout the the entire series. So I think this pitching staff has the ability to make good offensive teams look bad. And I, I think Alabama's just on a roll right now. I'll like I'll be interested to see how Alabama plays against Belmont here yeah. uh, in in Coleman because you know the worst thing Alabama could do is look so good against Florida and come out and you know, be and lay an egg even even in a victory you know, lay an egg against a Belmont team, which is below 100 in the RPI. Yeah, I'm not concerned about it, but my one qualm for Tuesday against Mm. Belmont and this weekend against Kentucky is coming down really hard off the high of beating Florida. I think this team, I think they know it. I don't think it'll be a problem, but I'm just vocalizing it. They have to realize that the goal was not to sweep Florida. All right, right. You, you got it. That's not the end goal, though. Exactly. There's much more after mm-hmm. a tough Kentucky team that is tricky and then a road series at LSU. We are just on a stepping stone for mm-hmm. the final goal for this team. Winning at Florida is a great accomplishment, but it is not the end-all, be-all by any means, and I think this team needs to make sure that they don't overlook Kentucky because they're still thinking about, well, we got two games off Kelly Barnhill. Right, I, I agree, and but that's one of the great things about the way that this team is, has played this year, the kind of the, the way the team is, is that, you know, when we look back at the 33-game the win streak to start off the regular season, I remember talking to Patrick Murphy about it and in the postgame after Alabama lost the first game of the year that I don't think I ever even mentioned it to him during, during any of our pregame interviews no. because it didn't seem like it was affecting the team one way or the other. They were just going out and playing each day you know, moving and I think Alabama is continuing to have that mindset here moving forward too. that talked about way back at the beginning of the season that this team was a younger team than Alabama's had, but it may have been a more talented team than Alabama's had. And I think some of that youth is actually coming around in a positive way that, you know, there's there's going out playing softball, just having fun. And I, I think that's that's going to be the best mindset they can have moving forward is you know the stakes are going to continue to get higher and higher with every game that you play. Don't let the spotlight get to you. Just go out there and play. You came to Alabama to play these type of games, and that then and, and I think this this team has really done well with that mindset. So Alabama Kentucky this weekend, big games continuing going forward. Coming off of a three game sweep in Gainesville, which means we were on the road. Yes, which means it's time for us to talk about what we ate on the road. Mm. It is the return. Of Tom's hungry. Yes, Tom. Please take it away. Well, we'll do a shout out to BJ's. Yes, uh, which is that's kind of a a more of a chain restaurant. I know there's there's one in Oklahoma City. We went and there's one in College Station. So that's not quite as a, a much of a Gainesville centric place. So I'm not really putting it completely into a Tom's hungry segment. You want to 
the, these are four places that are only in the, those places Correct. for the most part. But And uh, I did not eat at your place that you're about to mention, which is right. upsetting, but go <laughs> so, ahead. Well, you know, I haven't eaten a good bull yet, so I'm looking that's forward fair, to that. That's fair. Yeah. So, but shout out to BJ's. The bazookis are outstanding. It, it was a really good lunch. But when we went on Thursday night, we finally got there. Our plane was usable, so we were <laughs> able to make it. And we went ate at a place called Leonardo's, and it was outstanding, great Italian, and the best part of Leonardo's are the rolls because the rolls that they bring out and you take a look at them, you, they look like a cinnamon roll. You're like what's oh, stop. Inter- this is an interesting thing to have for our appetizer. Why, why would you bring us a cinnamon roll? That's not frosting. That is the butter that's on it. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's just, they're, 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 they're warm and they're delicious and you can just dip them in, in the butter and I, I could have just that and be, and be happy. And then had, had uh thing is linguini meat meatball linguini Mwah. very good <laughs> very nice so yes so leonardo's in gainesville thank you very much you make tom's hungry here so mine it's kind of a chain and i went by myself because y'all were still coming in <laughs> we're trying to for, for the love of god can we get to gainesville please? i i go i drive down i wake up at 7 a.m here right i get in the car at eight we had the best of intentions. We we had we had the plan ready. It was yeah. going to meet the team. We're going to go right in at the exact same time, mm-hmm. record the podcast, yep. go to practice, mm-hmm. do it all, and unusable plane <laughs> and <laughs> right. weather, just yeah. everything. Just everything happened. Yeah, we've, thank goodness we were able to get out just before the, the weather came yeah. through Tuscaloosa, and, and thank goodness the damage wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, but bottom line, I was alone yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for, so most of, right. yeah. for most of Thursday night. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'm going to treat myself, Parks and Rec style. Mm, oh. So, yeah. Treat so yourself. I go to Shula Steakhouse. again. Were you, were you wearing a Batman costume when you went? Of course not. Oh. I was wearing the fur leather jacket. <laughs> well, Purple. Of course. of course. Purple. Yes. I just had that. So I go to Shula Steakhouse again, kind of a chain, but fantastic. Had a sure. couple drinks, got a steak. Got a lobster bisque, which I, if Ooh. I see lobster bisque on a menu, I'm eating it. That's happening. Okay. Sure. Okay. That's happening. Yeah. So, and then I got a trio of creme brulees, which was just delicious. One was wow. vanilla, one was chocolate, another was something I'd never heard of. Hmm. And I couldn't describe to you the taste. It was like a sweet version of vanilla. It was odd. It was huh. vanilla was a little bit bitter. And yeah. then this one was just like 10 times sweeter. And I loved it. Wow. So it was really good. Okay. So thank you to Shula's. There you go. I will also shout out Gumby's Pizza. Oh, yes. Very entertaining for us after a doubleheader sweep of Florida to get Gumby's Pizza with, quote, Celebration Ranch. (laughs) Celebration Ranch, because two years ago, after Super Regionals in Gainesville, we had Conciliatory Ranch. So this was Celebratory Ranch. All of the ranch yes. is what Allison Habits got for us, and we appreciate it. Shout out to Allison Habits. <laughs> she is a ranch fiend. Yes. And uh, Gumby's was fun. It's always entertaining for us to just hang out with everybody. Whole coaching staff was there, and most of the support staff. And it was just a blast. Just yeah. chilling in the lobby. Yeah. It was great. And, and again, anything. Of course, sweeping Florida always makes things taste better. Yes. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. And uh, our next couple spots on the Tom's Hungry Tour are known for food. Oh, my gosh. Going to Baton Rouge. Man. And then going back to College Station. And then somewhere magical for the postseason. Right. And also in between Baton Rouge and College Station, a trip to the Habits Homestead. Yes. Which, wow. I've never been. I've heard stories. Oh, it's going to be great. And the thing is, I don't, eat, I don't eat crawfish, but I eat all the stuff around crawfish. Oh, it's so good. What we need to do is we need to just bring in Allison Habits for the Tom's Hungry at Good right. Bowl. We'll just bring her along with us. Right. Just come on in. 
and we will just talk to her about what we're going to have for dinner right. at the habits, whatever that is. A lot of the stuff in, you know, it's a farm, you know, it's a, okay. It's right. a farm. Okay. It is a farm. Yeah. So, I mean, they'll have the, you know, you'll have the stuff in, in Baton Rouge and even the stuff at, at, uh, coach habits farm is going to be stuff that I don't really want to know what all is in it, but I know it's delicious. That's fine. And that's pretty, so I'll be okay with it. You just roll with it. Yeah. Okay? Right. Yes. So that will be in a couple weeks. We've and, got, and speaking of that, the coaching staff for Alabama has an open invitation to come on out of the box. Yes. Whenever they want to. Yes. Specifically Stephanie Van Brakel pro right. throw. Yes. Who keeps saying, when am I going to get the invite? Steph, you don't need an invite Where's with us. One? Come on. You know, our door's always open. Stop adding us <laughs> and just come on. Just come on. Right. And we know they're going to listen to this. Too, <laughs> the, so. the ban has been lifted. So come on in. <laughs> yes. We at coach Steph and I are on speaking terms. <laughs> right, now, so which it's, is all, good. it's all great. Oh, uh, that's a story for another day. It's <laughs> been a, I don't know if that's on the air. Sorry. Probably but yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Hawaii stays in Hawaii. <laughs> oh boy. What a great show. Thank you to Madison Shipman for hopping on. Wow. We've got a big series coming up this weekend. We're going tomorrow, Tuesday to Coleman, Alabama to celebrate Claire Jenkins. I'm right. so excited as the president of the Claire Jenkins fan club. Do you have a, a reception ready to go? Is I've got be... signs. I've got fat heads. We're Good. ready. All right. We're all ready. And we will be tweeting, of course, about that game on Tuesday and then this weekend and everything going forward about Alabama softball. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see those tweets, Tom, where can people find you? They can find me at T Canterbury, that's C-A-N-T-R-B-U-R-Y-R-T-R on Twitter. And then you can find my tweets at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson, or follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod. And we will be at these games, Tom, because yes. we're at every game at talking every game. on the radio. Yes. <laughs> every game is available to you. If you're in Tuscaloosa, you can find that 93.3 FM in Tuscaloosa. If you're outside the city limits, Tuscaloosa, it's not the most powerful radio station. Uh, you can go to rolltide.com and there is a live stat or live audio. There's live stats too, but there's a live audio link there. And click on that, and you can get us anywhere, everywhere. Absolutely. And it's always fun. People say they find us entertaining. I don't know why, but... (laughs) We've heard people say that they turn off the people that are talking on ESPN and and listen to us, and we appreciate that. Nothing against the people on ESPN. They're wonderful. They're great. And, you know, if you want to come by and say hi, please do so, but not while we're on the air. Right. (laughs) Yes. If we look like we are talking into the microphones... It's because we're talking under the microphones on, on radio and we can't talk to other Yes, people. that is so, correct. Yes. So it, no offense to you, but, mm-hmm. you know, come up before the game. We're usually in the booth for about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, love to pitch. talk to everybody. Yes. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Many thanks to our good friend Madison Shipman for joining us once again. And thank you, loyal listeners, for tuning in, as always. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I am Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll be back in Rhodes Stadium this weekend for Alabama's final home series of the regular season, keyword, against Kentucky. And then we will have another episode out early next week preparing you for the final weekend of SEC play. We are really coming down the home stretch now, Tom. I've blinked in the season zone. Boy, that's what always happens. All of that, you can find us this weekend, and then you'll see us next week on the next episode of Out of the Box. We'll see you next time.